0: Yeah, sorry, this is a bit of a... Uh, th- th- this, this was, uh, Little no Steve, huddle. Little no huddle. Steve is like, oh, I must have missed the announcement. I'm like, well, not really. It happened like 20 minutes ago. So no, he did not miss the announcement. I mean, not really. Um, so uh, did, and, uh, Adam, how much of this did you...
1: I, I, I am I am will for ignorant. So my wife has been sick all weekend. So I've been off of Hacker News even more than usual. So the fact that your talk at OSFC was apparently the number one story, congratulations, um, all weekend. Well, it totally escaped me.
0: Well, so yeah, I mean, it was kind of, so I think, and I think Dave's here. He, and he can, um, try, so it, it, Dave, so the the talk was released actually when I was at another conference. I was at Montgomery Fest um, in, in Maine.
1: Right. Um, I do love those guys. I love. I really want to get to that conference. I think it's a, it's it, a big oh. regret of mine that I've never prioritized that it is it is so great
0: um and uh, and i and obviously love steven and james yeah. and red monk the whole red monk crew and rachel stevens and all of them are just great so anyway that was a lot of fun but i was not i had not had a chance i saw the video had gone up but hadn't had a chance to really do anything with it and then uh dave had this terrific tweet thread well he had a terrific tweet actually um which was uh really i mean it's always nice when a fellow technologist really appreciates something that's been done. And I thought, Dave, thank you very much for your tweet. It was great um, explaining why uh, why this is important. And then someone asked him a follow up question, like, "Hey, I don't really understand why this is important." And then Dave really took it apart. In I mean, it just like nailed it in this kind of whatever it was, fourteen tweets, just explaining why this was important. Uh, and Adam, I'm not sure like, how much of the holistic boot stuff have you been? I mean, the miracle of boot, I'm
1: not sure. I mean, obviously you've had plenty to do. no i've been I've been at the opposite end of the universe, so uh, sort of catching some of the Hawking radiation that gets emitted from that <laughs> right? black hole. but um and and certainly understanding that like we've gone a to say we've gone an uncharted path, I think is putting it mildly. but uh, I've definitely not waded into the details,
0: yeah. and I think also, I feel that you suffered some of that pain. We suffered some of that pain together at Sun for sure. But I feel like, and Josh, I I mean, I feel like most of our bias pain actually happened when we were trying to run a cloud ourselves at Joyant, at least for me. I mean, it's like I'd had bias pain in my life, but God, it was so much worse from, from. Are you saying bias or bias? Are we going to do this right now? Are we going to do, do one of these cultural difference moments right now? I, I mean, don't we – okay, I, I probably pronounce those things the same. So so when you hear me say unconscious bias, have you been assuming that I've been re- referring to a basic input and output system? <laughs> you know a, lo- a lot more stuff. Than <laughs> That's right, right. It's like, boy, why are we having another conversation about, like, bias? I was like, yeah, we get – right no, no the, the bios. Bios.
1: Like a biopic,
0: like a biopic.
1: <laughs> um, but I,
0: space derailed. All right, <laughs> I, the the Yeah, space derailed exactly. But I feel like we suffered a lot of that pain when we were trying. It's when we were trying to run a bunch of machines and really operate them that I feel we had a lot of yeah. pain, a lot of that pain. I think it's it's probably a, a tired
2: adage, but like like. People are like, well, I had this computer and it worked fine. It's like, right, well, get a thousand of them, and then like forty-eight
0: of them won't work, fine. and each like it won't be good. It won't be good. And Josh, you had a, a because Adam here apparently has other things to do other than read Hacker News comments all weekend. Um, but but I know I'm among a kindred spirit. You had a great comment on, in the like deep in the Hacker News. This became a Hacker News story. Dave's tweet got picked up. It got picked up by, so Adam, just to educate you, it got picked up by Hacker News, and it was somewhat shockingly, it was the number one story on Hacker News for, like, hours yesterday, long time yesterday, Um, which is always a mixed blessing, I feel. On the one hand, it's great to get a lot of attention on something. On the other hand, it's not so great to get a lot of attention on things sometimes. And Josh, I think you accurately predicted that, like, well... The informed people have all weighed in. So now it's time for the uninformed to weigh, to, to weigh in. And that's exactly what happened. And just people with different needs,
2: right? Like again, if you have one computer and it's firmware is working well for you, then th- this is not your problem.
0: Like, Yeah, and you, and someone said more or less that, like I've got one computer and this is not my problem. And I, moreover, I don't see how this could be a problem for anybody. I had a particular example. I mean, I was very time limited in my talk. So I had one example that he's like, is there any other example where I'm particular just to flesh it out a little bit. um, We uh, much to my, and Adam, I'm not sure how much like you had insight into this when we were going through this, but we, we saw all of these uncorrectable errors inside of joint, uncorrectable memory errors. And these machines would just die on uncorrectable errors. And, because of the experience that you and I had had together at sun, it's like, okay, so let's, what is our rate of correctable errors? It's like, Oh, there are no correctable errors ever. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. I I remember this This is just right. And you like, but but there's a whole like apparatus, the CMCI for the operating system to have information about correct errors. It's like, yeah, those are always zero. It's like, Oh, why are those zero? Because it engages in what's called the firmware first model in which it is the bios that actually uh, g- gets that 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 information and doesn't pass it on to the the, the guest operating system. So I had cited that example at, or the 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 um excuse me the operating system where I'm the host. I had cited that example in the talk and someone's like, "Well, do you have any other examples?" And then Josh you rattled off a bunch of them. <laughs> do you want to talk? I mean, I'm just I'm just reading from my diary <laughs> at some point, right? It's like <laughs> So do you want to actually go into some of those? Because I do think it's like people don't realize how much is down there it's, and how much can go wrong. So I would
2: say it's not just the BIOS. It's also all of the management infrastructure in these machines, I think. like The problem is not just the BIOS. It's also the BMC and all the other bits that get shoved in there to, pro- to provide uh, the value add, I guess that makes it like not just an intel reference design motherboard or whatever that you have bought and those are the bits that usually don't work very well yeah but like only some of the time and that that probably the biggest problem is that lots of these things work a bit they just don't work always and they often fall over the most when something else is falling over and you really need
1: them and do, and Washington that's got I, mean, I mean that's got to resonate so strongly with people who have not had some of these more pathological problems cuz how many times have you logged into the BMC through its like goofball HTML5 web interface you know password admin login admin <laughs> and uh, like tried to reboot it or tried to connect to the console or tried to do anything and have it fail in ways <laughs> that are <laughs> it indistinguishable also doesn't from work. success yes
2: yeah it just, just the the most irritating example that I have from the last, like, 6 to 12 years, so there's this red fish thing that's supposed to supplant IPMI. Oh. And so, like, it sounds good in principle. It's like, well, it's REST. It's not very good REST, but it's REST. And, like, uh, in theory, you can now tell the computer to boot either from the network or from the disk through, like, a REST thing. Which sounds good in principle. That's what I actually want to do in the lab a lot of the time, and it works. I estimate about sixty percent of the time, and then the other forty percent of the time, either it doesn't, up, it doesn't seem to update the boot settings in a way that works, but it's really unclear because it sometimes then returns like that. Its intent is to boot from the network or the disk or whatever I told it but it doesn't do it like it reboot re- the computer right. and, the buyer, and the buyer says right, right. I'm getting my I'm getting my instructions and then it boots from the wrong device and you're like well but, <laughs> what but then what like, but like and then if I reboot the computer again it does it again and then like but but then sometimes it's enough to like set the boot order a lot of times And, like, one of those times that I set it will take. And sometimes it feels like every time that I set it, it actually undoes any progress we made previously in setting it. So it's, like, not even idempotent. It's just it's madness. And there's no way. So in the end, the computer always boots from the network because I figured out how to, like, get into the settings menu and do that. And then we control whether it boots from the disk or the network by switching out (laughs) iPixie files on another computer. It's like... And like, I'm sure that this is a thing that operations groups have internalized as well, that's
1: how computers work. It's like, well, but they don't have to work that the, the, way. Uh, Josh, that is such a good point because I think that for so many and, and for you know, myself included, at least for a long time, this just felt like the natural order of things. Like, it, it, yes, it is frustrating, but it can be no other way for reasons that are inscrutable. And I think that, that that's even true of like people who operate tons of servers outside of the context of like a hyperscaler. There's like sometimes things break and you have to do it again. And it's hard to predict how many times I'll need to reconfigure the, the boot order settings until it will work. And it's even worse than that because this is so
0: sedimented that just as you, and you're describing it, like operators think like, well, this is the way it has to be done. People on other instruction set architectures are like, well, if we want to like get people to use this thing, we need to do what x86 does. And we, you're like, no, 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 please don't, please, please, you do not need UFI. You don't need to do. You don't need Fresh. You don't need all this, this this madness. And watching ARM and RISC v kind of repeat some of these same mistakes from x86 because they feel they have to because those are the expectations. It's like, no, 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 please.
2: I think, I think there's this expectation that by having an ossified standard that everybody purports to comply to. That we won't have to keep redoing all this other stuff. And like, yeah, I think I think people are imagining the world that they would like based on the nouns that they've used in describing <laughs> that stack. And and then sort of, but like, the, but the the problem is that everything they've described is exceptionally complicated. And any time that you say, "Well, I can't have control of that piece." And you can't fix it when it's inevitably broken. And right. also, like this, these standards are incredibly wide. Like they like they have a huge amount of surface area, and a lot of it is often poorly specified. And so, like it may be that the three BMCs that you buy are all standards compliant, even though they all work differently.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and Redfish in particular has, and I'm, I I will, one of my most embarrassing moments, and if Robert Mustaki, if you happen to catch this recording, just I I know I've apologized to you before over this. I want you to apologize again. One of my most embarrassing moments was when we were first hearing about Redfish. For whatever reason, God only knows what had happened to me that day, it just sounded like this is what's going to solve our problems. I was like, this Redfish thing sounds great. I just remember being like, I don't think you understand what this thing is and it's not i'm like i but but dell is saying they're gonna do this is gonna be this is gonna allow us to manage an entire fleet of machines the, and then the, oh the
2: problem, but the, the problem is the people that built the first thing are now building the second thing it, so it's it, gonna be broadly similar in quality
0: and it's adam have you looked at redfish not at all Okay, I feel that you, in fact, we should do a Twitter space on like bad web APIs because I feel like you've seen so many APIs. I would love to know where Redfish ranks. Awesome. I'm looking this now. It is, there is a bunch about it that is very, very weird and makes it, uh, and I think Tom is here. Uh is go oh, good. I got good. Thank you, Tom. Tom is requesting to speak just as uh, so I'm like, wait a minute, did I see Tom here? Because Tom, I remember you and I talking about redfish, and you went on a delightful rant about redfish in uh OSFC 2019. I'm hoping that Tom's still got that rant in him. All right, well hopefully hopefully Tom is 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 warming up. But it's
3: it, it, wait, wait, it not gonna think- do Oh, good! You're here. Excellent. Fumbling, fumbling through the UI. Yeah, no, I, I, my rant about Redfish was from experience as well. But, but basically, Redfish is just a modern syntax, and syntax never solves the problem the way XML didn't solve the problem, and SNMP didn't solve the problem. And the problem is people don't stick to standards.
0: That is a really good point. That syntax doesn't solve the problem. That is actually. Syntax is maybe part of the problem, but it is by fa- far from the whole, the complete problem. And there's the, also with any you've got a like a field that the vendor can have this kind of like opaque field that's vendor specific, the vendors will just use that for everything. Right. I think there's going to be some right because Tom, that's probably one of, the, one of the other problems with Redfish that everything is in like these other these kind of OEM fields. In, in which case, like, why bother having a
1: standard at all?
3: Yeah, it's everything can uh, be just YOLO it. Everything is a superset of a subset of the standard, which is
4: no standard at all. Standards in general are good, but this reminds me of Mothi Roscoe's thing in his OSD 21 keynote where he says these interfaces have congealed over time. and That's such a great word. And I can't think of a domain where that's more apt than system firmware. Yeah,
3: it really has. Sorry, I'm eating my burrito. Yeah, um, and it's it's Godwin's law too. There's been so many different organizations doing too much, and each in their little piece. I
0: think you mean Conway's law, Con- but maybe. Uh, yeah. you
3: do mean <laughs> law. I'm, I'm sorry, Conway's law.
0: I was <laughs> like, wow, this is about to take a really wild turn. <laughs> As it turns out, Redfish is from the alt right. Who knew this? <laughs> um, um, but yeah, no, you, the, the, total Conway's law. Where you you can see like oh I think I can see from the API structure I think I can see the org chart from here. Um, so and I embarrassingly I thought I and Tom I guess I I myself fell into this trap of like syntax will solve all problems of course no of course it won't solve all these problems. It does remind me of when I did a lot of work to go parse the ACPI tables for error injection as part of this problem, and I'm like okay we need to be able to inject errors in this thing. We have got no ability to parse these tables today. To write all the software to parse the tables, and then go on to the super micro machine. I'm like, they're all empty. They're all empty. I it's like, oh man, it's like, oh, to be or to be filled in by OEM. You're like, oh man. Um, but then I love the Josh. You see that Hacker News thread that somebody just in terms of like what we you're talking about the expectations of sedimentation. And I, there was a line of like, removing layers of abstraction seems like it could lead to incompatibility. I'd much rather have proprietary blobs everywhere than incompatibility. It's like, well, how about proprietary blobs and incompatibility? Like, why choose? You can actually have both of these things. So when we, I, I mean, when we set out, we, I mean, for, and, and Josh, I don't know if you want to elaborate on any of your other your, your other uh, diary entries. You had, a, I mean... It was it was a good list, I feel, um, but it was. Uh, I, f- I felt that it was a bad list. <laughs> Fair enough, the opposite of a good list. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of pain. But so when we set out, we, we I mean, you said yourself that like this is like so a, a chunk of these are the BMC, so we want to get rid of that with NSP. Yeah, we wanted to get out from underneath this Redfish problem, which is part of the problem. Adam is that these the BMC is just like hanging out a web service on the – not the internet, hopefully, but often – I mean like, But in some cases, yes. Yeah. But in some cases, yes. And it's like you really don't want your BMC having a web services stack. That's not a good idea. Like you really want that thing to be much more finely controlled. That is a recipe for vulnerabilities. That's a lot of surface area.
1: Yeah, like when you start oh. scratching your head and thinking, like what is this thing I'm typing admin admin into? <laughs> right.
0: like, there's actually
1: right. probably a bunch of software running that.
0: There's a bunch of software – and the, the, the problem, actually, there's an interesting kind of threshold where, and I didn't, didn't really click for me until I saw, uh, I, actually, at, at OSFC, really good talk on the structure of, of HP's BMC um, and, like, what the actual ASIC looks like. And one of the problems that they actually have is that uh, once you, you exceed the SRAM in a microcontroller, then you are actually forced to get DRAM for this thing. For your BMC. So this is not even the computer, right? This is the the computer to manage the thing. And once you have a big enough footprint, you need DRAM. And the it's like, well, what am I? And so one of their problems is they can't find DDR3. Like they just like not for sale anymore. So they're having to put DDR4. It's like, oh my God. And you, you, you
1: so like how big of a computer do I need to manage
0: this computer? Right. It's like, so it's like I I like I have to buy like an F1 car. Like I just want to go grocery shopping. It's like, yeah, sorry. Uh
3: they oh. well, pretty soon, pretty soon you'll need a small processor to help you boot your BMC. <laughs> <For laughs> yes.
1: meta-BMC. Oh right. my god,
3: that's coming. <laughs> the, the, exactly. The yeah, because this BMC is
0: not gonna boot itself. Like it actually needs but seriously, Tom, mm-hmm. when you talk about like you because like that thing now, especially DDR4, one of the things we really appreciate, I appreciate much more viscerally than I have previously in my life, is how long it takes to train those DIMMs. Right. And so now, like, your BMC actually can't boot that fast because it needs to train its DRAM, by the way, that it doesn't even need. It doesn't even want. It wants to actually have, like... Uh, so, and a big part of that problem is, like, well, your footprint got too big in this thing. Like, you wanted a web services stack, so that needed that needed... A you know that needed Linux and now you have you know tens of megabytes, hundreds of megabytes of footprint, and now it's DDR and it's like it's like multiple organ failure, you know. It um, so we we knew we were going to get rid of the BFC. We have an SP. We only use the SRAM. We don't have any any DRAM on that thing. We don't have any DDR on that thing. Um, we um, so that simplifies a lot. But then the then the other big piece that we knew we wanted to do, which is what we I was talking about in this talk is the actual elimination of the that proprietary bias that executes before the bootloader, um, and that code is often unseen. And I think a big part of, a challenge that we have in the industry that I'm not sure how clearly I called attention to it. But there is a an unfortunate codependency between the microprocessor vendors and the bias writers, the IBVs. and they end up kind of developing the stuff together in a very undocumented or unseen fashion, and it means that like no one else can actually do the platform enablement because it's not documented. And I don't think this is pernicious necessarily. <laughs> But uh, that is
1: a big part of the problem here is that the parts themselves are not documented. It, it seems like not, not just not documented and you know, not just potentially pernicious, but also fragile, like fragile in a way where once they get it working, it's sort of good enough. Um, very hard to understand the failure modes and, and probably you know, hard for them to document. I mean, obviously, we've seen hard for them to document because they don't necessarily understand how it works
0: well they they definitely it, it, at the very least it is uh in terms of that lowest level of enablement um there the, the sequencing is not it, it completely elucidated and it is clear from their own implementations that um what we found a lot is units that would be initialized multiple times um which clearly you shouldn't need to do It's kind of it's kind of in the name um Clearly, you should only have to initialize it once. So, yeah, I think there is some of that of like they they don't know exactly what's required and what's not. And then once it's working, you don't want to uh, actually dork with any of it, um, which is the other the, the other big challenge. Um, that uh, yeah, uh, Dave, go ahead. Yo, you're, you're here.
5: Hey, uh, yeah, I, I just wanted to add to that. The other big deal is uh, lack of diagnostic information. So, to to your point about stories of Form of weird firmware problems. Uh, one that I had on on a single machine, not even at scale, was uh, the management engine was just broken on an Intel board, and it just brought up a single core at locked at 800 megahertz, and the rest of the and the rest of the firmware just didn't do anything about it. You know, it it, it actually maddeningly it constructed. You know, I, I don't know if it's ACPI or anything else, but. It constructed in all of the state. It handed to the operating system. It's like you are the owner of one eight hundred megahertz Xeon core. It's, so it, it nice you all the way up yeah. to say, you
1: know, here, this is oh, what yeah. I
5: have for you. Yeah. Th- so th- this is like a, a machine I a machine I bought and assembled and booted. And it's like wow, this is this is booting really really this slowly. Really <laughs> it's, it's it's like a four you know, well, three three gigahertz part with multiple like cores. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And eventually found, you know, I went and dug through the terrible BIOS uh, APIs, not APIs, uh, UI, and eventually found, you know, hidden in a sub, sub, sub menu, oh, the management engine is in recovery mode. Well, that sure sounds bad. Uh, And eventually, once I had that, found, you know, went online and found that the board vendor had a forum post somewhere that said, oh, yeah, that happens sometimes. Uh, Put the management engine back into manufacturing mode, reflash all the firmware, and it should be fine.
6: And it's like, that's confidence really? inspiring. Yeah. yeah it's
5: just, it's, 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 this is this is this is your response to your know, your firmware getting it getting it kind of wrong here. Like, couldn't you have told me you know, that something was amiss? Just turn it off and
4: turn it back on. I mean, that's what the entire industry does. Yeah. Something yeah, yeah. I so. mean,
0: if you find a dead mouse in your soup, uh, that happens from time to time, and uh, remove the mouse and continue eating the soup. It's like, yeah, I don't think exactly. I, I, I've got a lot of questions about how the soup is made now
5: yeah and just you know, count my lucky stars I had one server to recover, and not 10,000 in a data center that would have sucked. yeah, wow uh, and you know, another one where I I can't share too much of the detail, but uh, due to an assembly error, the CPU came up with like half of its half of one of its buses missing. and so you just had a terrible performance degradation because the firmware, somehow managed to muddle through like, oh, like 50% of my hardware is not functioning. I'll just initialize the rest of it and function at half speed okay, and so, not tell anyone about it.
0: Yeah, so all right, this is a really interesting point. And the, these are, I mean, very painful experiences, but I think that because part of the challenge you have in both these cases is this lowest layer of firmware knows that things are very, very amiss. And right. it has no real way. It's like... Like, I, You know, I wasn't handed a flare gun. Like, like it has no real way. It's like, I don't know, just just boot it. I don't know. I mean, it has no way of indicating what's... I mean, like, it knows there's a raging inferno down there, but it's got no way of indicating it. So it is up to, you know, a higher level software has got no way of kind of querying that kind of state. And I, I do feel like this is a, a really persistent theme that we see where the the... the element in the system that knows that something is amiss has no way of communicating that to the element of the system that can actually do something about it.
3: Well, th- this is part of the consumer electronics heritage where mm-hmm. you go to great lengths to make sure you don't get a support call. Well, yeah, that's interesting, Tom, because I do feel that, like part of the
0: problem here is that we have, uh, because we've divided the world into those that generate the systems and those that generate the software it's like and and in part to like deprive those that generate the hardware from any kind of margin it's like well yeah i don't have enough like staff to invest he's like yeah i don't know it goes into recovery mode sometimes i don't know i don't know what to tell you if i you know if i had more than three percent margin they would figure it out but um which is another part of the challenge here steve you had your hand up
7: yeah so first of all, I'm excited we're finally talking about this stuff because I think this whole thing is like one of the coolest things that we're doing because it's, it's like an area, before I worked at Oxide, I didn't know any of this stuff existed really, to be honest. And like finding out all this garbage that's in there and the fact that we're getting around it is something I'm like extremely excited about and it's very cool, but also it's kind of that like slightly outside perspective. There's this quote by Adele Goldberg I've liked for a really long time, which is in small talk or like in an object-oriented code base, everything happens somewhere else. And like, that's the way that I feel about those layers of firmware is that like, we've built all these like layers of like people writing these different firmwares that you only care that your thing works well enough to put the blame on some other vendor somewhere else in the stack. And that's like why we end up in these kinds of places where it's like, oh yeah, that's a bug that happens. But just like, you know, it it doesn't matter. Just like reset it. Like it'll be fine or whatever. Cause you just don't have control necessarily over what some other crap somewhere else in some other layer of this is like doing. And so I, I don't know for me, like, like in that Hacker News thread, someone's like, "What's the business case for doing stuff like this?" And it's like responsibility. Like we, yeah. we, our job is to make sure the computer works. How are we supposed to make sure the computer works if there's like all this other garbage that's literally lying to you? That's like written by other people, and then you can't inspect or read or know what's going on. And so, oh, that's and like, you don't even. I think it's you don't even
0: you're totally important, Stephen. Then you also don't even know who to call. So if you somehow manage to like get to the right person. One of the things that David, I'd be curious to know how often you heard this. We definitely heard this a lot, which is, you know, no one else is telling us about this. Like we have shipped millions of these. And if it were as broken as you'd say, we'd be hearing it from everybody. Like, you're the only one, you're the only customer we've heard this from. And you kind of believe that for the first thousand times you hear it. And then you begin to realize, like, wait a minute. No, no, no. Everybody else is, is seeing this. They just don't know who to call. They don't or they don't know how to express it. They don't actually
7: realize that this is a problem. And so we get learned the, helplessness too. Like I was talking to a friend who works at a big company on their like platform team, and he's like, Oh yeah, like if I report this bug upstream, they're gonna go, sure, that's a bug in some firmware, we'll file an upstream bug and like who knows if that everything gets looked at little and taken care of. So why would I file more of these bugs? Because like they're clearly just getting ignored. Totally.
0: And I think it's I mean I got so frustrated with one of these that uh, years ago. So, in particular, uh, do, do you remember the perk, the the parity errors we were seeing on our perks, Josh? The um, back in the day, we were seeing these parity errors, and uh, Dell. This is on boot. The perk, which is an HBA, would report report a parity error, and then it would do it would just stop. Like I'm not going to. Re- I'm just like I'm done. I'm I'm here. I'm I'm stopping this system because of this parity error which I don't know
1: maybe yeah, I I I'm not sure uh, Wait, like so it did like a read from a block and that was it parity error good night
0: uh it would say parity error and then it would stop booting and you would need to reset the system and then if you reset the system it would frequently work um and the Dell in particular so we were running our Illumos derivative SmartOS and they're like this is a SmartOS bug and we're like Smart OS is not running. <laughs> huh, that sounds that sounds very strangely like exactly what I told them. I'm like, I, it, okay, if this is a Smart OS bug, if Smart OS is able to travel back in time and space it and somehow distort your software that runs early in boot, like that's another problem. <laughs> um, but it's like, no, it has to be because we're not seeing it anywhere else. No other customer is seeing this.
2: What about the machine that we've never installed the operating system
1: on? What about that one? <laughs> right. Yeah, but do you intend to install smart glass? <laughs> that's,
0: that's right. Ah, uh,
1: there it is. <laughs> that,
0: that is exactly. And I finally, I was in. I was so frustrated by this that I was at a conference, and uh, this is, you know, back in the day when there was a little more physical infrastructure, and I was kind of calling them out on this. And I'm like, hey, show of hands. Has anyone else seen on the the this Dell perk card? These, the, and you could see like a room of like maybe 300 people, and they're like. Ten hands that went up, which is a lot, and everyone is like looking at one another, being like, "Oh my god, there is someone else!" Like I, every one of those had been told you are the only one seeing this, and of course, they weren't. We weren't the only one seeing this. We were. um, So I think Steve, just to your point about like the the value of this being and i did think some of those news comments were ridiculous like i don't understand the business case for this it's like it's a firmware conference it's not a, it's sorry this is not the open source business case conference anyway but the uh i thought you you made a very good point about like no no like it the, the the point of this is you've got one system and so you've got one entity that's going to
1: bear responsibility for the whole thing and end, to end. If anything you, is broken you know brian it's it's uh it's the curse of vertical integration because if we if we had two companies then we could stand there like the Spider-Man meme and point at each other like Dell does right? with Microsoft and and go on and on in the industry. Uh, but the fact that it's vertically integrated, unfortunately, we've got one throat to choke. Well, okay. so I actually do wonder about this.
0: Like if we see a higher proportion of this, because like the fastest way to like to, to get something blamed is just to be doing something that other people aren't doing. Like, oh, are you running OCaml in your stack? It's pro- It's OCaml. Like, are you like, – what? Like, are you running – oh, is it this operating system? Oh, is that, 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 this is what's causing the – problem. Like, I just need to – can I go into your environment long enough to find something that is just, like, not Windows, and then I can blame that? Uh, and then all the vendors – it's like, I just need to find another vendor in here. Can you please give me your vendor list? And
1: then I know who to blame,
0: which is very frustrating.
1: Yeah, but the, I, I don't know. I feel like both – that's like the story of the industry. Like, how, Remember there was this era when, like, database vendors wouldn't support you when you were on a virtual machine? Because um, it was different, right? Because they could. Because could they it, could. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. There's nothing
0: about a virtual machine that makes it right. It, it's just so – it, it, and it's, it's like you really need to have a culture of, like, you know, you got to own the whole problem. Like, I don't care – it, it, if it's because you're on a virtual machine, maybe. But like, we need to own the whole problem. Um, well, sorry, Josh. Go ahead. I was just going to say, what about Richmond Sixteen? I'd forgotten about it oh, until wow. Patrick mentioned it a few minutes ago. Yeah, so you should. Uh, so Richmond sixteen. This is one. Of, Adam, how many bug numbers do
1: you know? Do you know like you know what I mean? This I know zero. Of, I know zero bug numbers. I, I, is that I true? Like, absolutely. When mm. when you are dropping in like these iconic bug numbers from history, I just nod along. I'm finally telling you. I the, and I,
0: I don't know if you have lived a charmed life or just a healthier one. I mean, if you Maybe just a, an enumerate one? I don't know. Yeah, right? It's just like, no, I, I followed, like, I worked through it in talk therapy, and now I can't remember the bug ID anymore. But it's like, wow, that's great. No, Richmond 16 is a uh, is a bug. Uh, Josh, do you want to describe the symptoms of Richmond 16? Because this really was, like, the, this is a wake-up call from me. I New mean, the, the,
2: the worst part about it was it was uh, cor- the RAM disk that we booted our operating system from would be corrupted just a few megabytes of it in different places. Uh, it, sometime some after time, control was right. handed to the operating system, like a minute after boot had really sort of was well and truly over, like then you would go and run like LS. And I guess depending on the, how your image had been constructed, your LS would not work.
0: Because a part of your RAM disk had been clobbered.
2: Yeah. By, like a
0: part of your RAM.
2: Had and, been clobbered. And we never really nailed it down, again, because the, bi- the BIOS was, yeah. like, closed. But, like, when we turned off the UEFI network stack, not that we were using it, but when we switched that option off, I think it got better.
1: But certainly we, like, just refused to ever use those physical pages ever again. Okay. Like- sounds sounds scientific. I mean, I'm not, not that you can be more <laughs> scientific than that, but...
0: Well, no, but he, I mean, it was. Well, so w- was, we was were checking moments? for
1: like yeah.
2: SMM activations, and we yeah. had uh, like Keith had spent a lot of time on this with like the um, the we had nailed it down to specific physical memory ranges, like a couple of meg specific physical megabytes. I think were in, were subsequently being overwritten with just trash, and. Like, there, there was no SMM activations that we could see, assuming the CPU is being honest about that. And there were, there were no watch points that would fire. So it's not like it was our fault. So, like, it must have been DMA from outside the CPU. And so, like, we suspect that the network card had been configured in such a way that it was eventually, like, pooping some packets into the space or something. And, like, it was doing that for some amount of transfers after... Boot had been handed off, and because like the firmware is gone at this point, it's not running anymore. So, well, it's uh, not running in air quotes Excuse in any me, in that way, way that don't we, we yeah, don't want yeah, it to be it's running, not running
0: right. in any way we can tell. <laughs> but it, this is like one of these moments, and uh, yeah, I totally forgot about Rich and 16 as well until you mentioned it. But the, the this is one of these moments that was very revealing in terms of like, oh my god, there is software that is running at, like, this, should there shouldn't be anything else running on the system? I like, we are the operating system. We control the CPU. No one else has access to the operating system's memory. It's like, well, that's mostly true. Not always true. So, so I know we have hands up, but
1: I, yeah. I, I, I really want to dovetail to the SMM there, if we could. I mean, just because I feel like this was several, such a revelation for me coming to Oxide. Um, and I think folks on the space might not have heard it or, or uh, reveled in its majesty.
0: Yeah, so SMM is the system management mode, and this is a mode that the CPU can enter whenever it wants. It can be there as long as it wants. It can do uh, whatever it wants, and there is no way for the operating system to know that it happened.
1: And it but was, it's not like a virus. This is not malware, ostensibly.
0: Eh, I think you—that's re- really going to pivot on your definition of malware. It's, I mean, it's like you're, it definitely gets to get blurry. But no, it's not malware. And the it's just like, oh, God, okay, like why would you do that? It's like, well, there are various reasons that you can enter SMM, and there are very reasons why it, can, why it may choose to enter SMM, why SMM can be entered effectively asynchronously. And the thing that is really alarming, you've got no visibility to what that software is. The thing that I did not realize until, I mean, only, I mean, years um, after, I, I mean, we knew SMM was a thing, and certainly putting pressure on intel that they were ignoring uh to give us some visibility into when we were in smm and a suspicion that there was a lot of software in smm but you actually don't know what's there what i did not realize and i knew that it was like it was originally done for like laptop suspend and resume um which is the way that that was working without any os support is because smm was actually doing it it was like okay like i can kind of understand back to
1: dan's point about this system being congealed right because you've got you're breathing in this magic functionality that your hardware can just do, you know, independent of any proper OS support. That's right. And
0: that got, they got a little too strung out on that. And in particular, they, so, I mean, the one that I heard that was when Ron Minnick was describing, I don't know, maybe this was, I can't remember I heard him say this, from 2017 or 2018, that there were mouse drivers in SMM. You're just like, (laughs) what are you, what? Because they were, when they were initially implementing, USB mice, they wanted it to work with a, with a PS2 mouse driver. So there was a mouse driver sitting in SMM. You're just like, well, that's no, 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 that's that is not a hundred percent not a good idea. And so it's, it's troubling. I mean, it's the kind of thing that's like, uh, you know, when people would talk about what's an SMM, a part of me would be like, eh, that sounds kind of conspiratorial. And then you realize what is an SMM, you're like, as it turns out, that was not conspiratorial enough. It turns out it actually. <laughs> uh it is very very troubling the amount of software that's in there so we and we leave smm empty um so there is nothing in smm um it, it, we, unfortunately you cannot completely disable it you have to deal with it one way or the other uh but i know we, matt and ian have got their their hands up uh matt do you want to chime in
6: yeah sure so um on the uh on the parody error anecdote from earlier um Am I correct in guessing that uh, another thing that uh, made that problem uh, annoying, to say the least, is that the error was only displayed on the VGA yes. console? Yes.
0: yes, you guessed correctly.
6: <laughs> we we
0: have a lucky winner.
6: Yes. So so you would have to go in there with your uh, with the, the the VNC equivalent uh, client that was built into your BMC web interface and look at the and then see the error that way i guess that's right
0: uh and i believe and josh maybe you remember someone else remembers exactly i believe you could press f1 to continue so this is one of these where it's like yeah i'm just gonna hang out until you press f1 it's like okay uh there's a pc (laughs) there's someone sitting
6: in front of it (laughs) that's right um another thing um, I I don't know if this is I don't know if this is SMM or just the BIOS hanging around and 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 butting in where maybe it shouldn't. But I I remember in like '94 when there was a when I was a teenager, um, the on on Packard Bell computers <laughs> <Nice>. when <laughs> on Packard Bell PCs when uh, running DOS or Windows three point one, yeah, you know, while the while the OS, such as it was, was running, you could hit Alt-S to go into the Packard Bell BIOS setup. Oh,
0: my God. Well, okay, yes. So that uh, that would be interesting to know whether that was SMM, which definitely could have been. I mean, SMM has surprisingly old origins. It's from the 386. Which, so uh-huh. it could have been SMM, actually.
6: Or it could have just been, I mean, the BIOS was handling keyboard interrupts anyway. Right. Yes, and and this this was a school computer, so I didn't have like any games installed on it that I could see used to like probe the limits of this uh, function. But a school <laughs> and, computer, that's it, where I mean, it could and couldn't run.
0: God, if if you were like my kids now, whenever I have a new piece of electronics uh, arrive at the house, I have to be the one to unbox it because otherwise they will find the parent controls and they will lock me out of my own device. Do you have this happen, Adam?
4: <laughs>
1: no, I think I, you know, I've I've already taken control of uh, of like the Wi-Fi router, which is like you, you got to lock that down, parents, because like that's the point of control of the whole house. If you can turn off everyone's internet, like you can make your teenager show up anywhere.
0: Right, exactly. You make it well, it, but similarly, I'm surprised that Matt, I'm surprised at your self constraint of like not actually be like, hey, I can actually set some passwords on this, but bi- I can actually ransom the, the, this bias back to
6: school. Well, I mean I, I I kind of did the opposite thing that the year before when I was at another school where, where they had Mac computers and I discovered that I could turn off the quote unquote security software that was installed on those computers by holding down shift while <laughs> uh well, while the OS was booting to disable system extensions. But I was a good kid. I reported it to my teacher.
0: There you go. Um reported that got a CBE for it. Um, that's, uh, that's pretty funny. And I, I remember, I got Packard Bell. You, so I remember being a kid being like, wow, Packard Bell, that's a funny name for a Hewitt-Packard machine. There must have been litigation between Hewitt-Packard and Packard Bell, right? Had to have been, I don't know. Well, it's like one of those questions it's always I've always wondered. Um, Ian, you uh, you had your hand up.
8: Yeah, uh, one, one aspect of this work is, is kind of about Oxide's kind of balance sheet, right? It's about having happier customers, about reducing your support contact rate, about having fewer, like, head-scratching support cases. But I am kind of curious about how you take this thing that is kind of invisible and make it more visible and more transparent to customers so they understand this aspect of the selling point of why you would buy an oxide rack as opposed to, like, a Dell machine. Like, I'm curious about whether you've thought about, you know, what is the backblaze hard drive stats, but for support contact rate for my machines doing weird shit? Yeah, no,
0: that's a great question.
8: And I think that, I mean, just to be
0: clear, I don't know that we view this as a selling point per se. I think to to Steve's earlier point, this is enabling us to deliver a high quality experience. And it's the high quality experience that is the selling point. Um, So I think that that this
1: is a necessary implementation detail of that. But the negative consequences is something that most of the customers I think we've spoken with, correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but it it resonates with them. When you're like, have you ever been in a situation where you've got two vendors both gaslighting you, both telling you you're the only ones who it's ever happened to, never get a satisfactory answer? They tell you to reset it. You know, it happens to 10% of your fleet. Does that ring a bell? Like, we see lots of nods in those situations. We see lots of of nods. And of course, We can't say, hey, that that will never happen to us because, you know, we're smarter than those folks. But we can't say, like, it's, you know, we have taken these steps so that there are not these areas of mystery and uncertainty and lack of visibility. That's right.
0: And I think that the the thing that, so, and I knew we would be able to, we knew we would be able to deliver that kind of responsibility. I have to say, and Josh, if you need to get your, your take on this, I also thought we would be taking enormous technical risk, clearly. Because uh, no one's really done this with an x86 machine before. And I was also I also just assumed that it's like we are taking a slower path by doing this. That this is going to be a harder, slower path. And one thing that is like, kind of amazing to your question about the value, Ian, uh, it is I am now, I, I, could, I would say unequivocally, we actually took a faster path. That the – and which I never would have thought. That this was actually – it, we were able to and i mean part because this is you know the enormous skill and expertise and background and resolve and grit and so on of the people involved Robert stocky keith Wosowski, i mean, the folks that were really like driving this were very determined but i also having seen the way the, this platform enablement the way it's done even for hyperscalers it is not fast to rely on a proprietary bias vendor to support a new platform
5: I think, and- I think
0: we had a,
2: a longer, a much longer ramp up to the point where we're going to be able to sell something than if we had just put super microsystems in a rack. But we will attain a much higher top speed once we get up to speed, I think. Because, I mean, r- recall, like, the decade, or in my case, six years that, that we spent a joint, like, how many engineer months did we, like, pay in terms of my salary for me to, like, just...
0: Like, fiddle, fiddle with biostatics. I mean, like... <laughs> uh, I know. Well, but... so, but, uh, True, but Josh, I also think that, like, once we made the decision to, to chuck a BMC and to have a service processor, like, we were already... Uh, the, 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 once you're with your, on your own board design, you are effectively already on your own. From that moment, it was actually faster for us to build a holistic system than it was for us to engage with an IBV to go build their variant of a Giza for us. Yeah,
2: I think that's I think that's true. We also just didn't need as much stuff. Like it's not like we had to go and reimplement all of OpenBNC and all of EDK2 and all of these other things like cuz we 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 actually just want to jump into the OS as quickly as possible and we don't need to be compatible with anything else at
0: least right now and like We don't need need to be compatible with anything else at this layer. One of the things I do love about Oxide is that we are often simultaneously ripping out a legacy abstraction at the bottom of the stack and then re-implementing it virtually. (laughs) So we've got... uh, Where we are... I know that it's been fun to watch folks go deep into old abstractions and then re-implement them in Propolis or Machine Model. Um, And so
7: like... Yeah, sorry, Steve, go ahead. It's difficult to incorporate debugging time or like after... When something is working into like time estimates we see this with rust in general where people are like stuff takes a lot longer in rust and it's like well it initially takes longer but then you spend less time after the fact debugging weird issues and like sure if you're using say like ruby you may get it like quote unquote done faster but then you spend all this time later figuring out where bugs happen and so i'm not saying these trade-offs always make sense that way but i think it's kind of a similar thing where we we chose this path that we maybe thought would be slower but it turns out it's faster in the end just because, like, y- how we perceive of what is fast and slow is sometimes not, like, actually accurate. Those months of time you spent adjusting biosystems, Josh, weren't, like, considered in the, like, how long did it take to get this solution implemented? Um, because that's just, like, the way that we think about these kind of processes. Or totally. at least I found that to be true with software development in general.
5: No,
0: I think you are totally right. And you are especially right in this domain where everyone's responsibility is just to get their own little thin layer working and hand it off to the next thing. And then when the whole thing goes sideways, it's like, it, like, don't worry. You're going to get away with it. No one's going to come back and blame you because it's such an opaque layer. Just it's tell faster to we've get working. we've never seen it before.
7: <laughs> it's faster to get working is like for a certain definition of working, which often doesn't actually mean working. It means like working enough to get sent to whoever wants to accept it. That's right. That's right, and
0: it, so no, I think you're exactly right, and I think that we, it, and you're right that that we, the kind of the way we think of like when is the system done, and th- for us, like the the time for that has been, I think it's been, I mean, th- for what we've been able to do, we've been able to do it in a in a remarkably small time, remarkably short time, and then I think that the uh, w- another question that's been asked is like, well, what's going to happen for like a next generation of the CPU, and it's like, yeah, next generation of the CPU definitely. Is gonna require work. But it, it they're incentivized to keep a lot of these excellent abstractions. And provided we get good documentation, we're confident we can actually do it uh, relatively quickly. So we Ian, is this is this helping to answer your question?
8: Yeah, I think the I think the piece that I'm I'm kinda of missing here is um, how you kind of beat that drum in a way that doesn't require customers to talk to other customers like is is it a oh i'm going to post blog posts about not just here's this extremely weird issue that took us weeks to debug but maybe i do a blog post which is like here's a support case that probably would have taken four weeks but instead took four days because we had x y and z built into the kind of core brainstem of this of this rack like you know, I'm just thinking through like how you sell this benefit in a scalable fashion, instead of through a you know one-to-one sales conversation or selling purely to people who who are currently you know at the throats of their current vendors
0: yeah and i think that i mean it, it becomes it does become an implementation detail at some level and it becomes ideally it it becomes one of these things that just allows us to build a better thing where and the dem the, you know what is the demonstration that it is a better thing that is a higher quality thing I And mean, you can get quantitative about it but you can also just get very qualitative about it like i mean i think that and apple has done this for years where it's like no like this thing is just It works, Um, and i be, you know, I I am curious about the implementation details of why it works, but from an end user's perspective, what I appreciate is that it just, it just works. Todd, you had your hand up.
9: Yeah, so I guess, so I don't know nearly enough about this. So this may be a dumb question, but I'm I'm a little curious, how much does your design constrain you in terms of different types of hardware that you want to put um, on the machine? So if you wanted a node with different GPUs, different CPU, or maybe a machine with a different network or like a larger network, what, um, what would you have to change about this setup or anything?
0: Yeah, great question. And the answer is, uh, I mean, like the, uh, the Magic 8 ball, it depends. Uh, it, so, I mean, if you, you definitely are, but I would argue you, one is anyway. Uh, it is a big lift to go to, for example, Intel x86 versus AMD. That's a big, big lift. Um, or and but that's a big lift anyway um the and with intel we've got the management engine that would be something we'd have to contend with there are a lot of reasons why we chose amd over intel for the cpu um but so that would be a big lift um changing for this particular aspect of having a, the kind of the holistic system design and having the operating system do the lowest level platform enablement. It really is the host CPU. That is the, that is the thing that that is affected the most um, changing the, the neck, for example, um, the, or a GP, GPU PCI device generally won't be that, I mean, won't be that affected. Um, I, I, I should, Put all that with caveats, but um, what this really is is about uh, a tighter integration with the host CPU, and it is a tight integration with the host CPU. But I would argue that like you've got a tight integration with the host CPU anyway. Um, so this is more just allowing
1: one to deliver a better thing with it. But is this accurate to say? We'd have to do kind of a similar scale of work if we didn't go with this model. If we didn't go with this holistic boot approach but a lot of it would be out of our hands and in the hands of of other vendors where we don't have transparency or, or visibility into the operation of these things absolutely
0: and we i mean we also again because we have a serv- we have chucked the BMC we also have our own board design so i mean if we it, like we're not just like chucking an intel cpu in there we're going we would have to do a de novo board design around intel city 6 and it would be uh, it would be a lot of work uh, and we but that's part of the reason you know when we Conceived of oxide, one of the things that we wanted to go do, and I think we heard uh, Kate talk about this a couple weeks ago on the supply chain. Is like we very deliberately wanted to have deep partnerships with folks. We don't want. We're less interested in the ability to kind of plug random stuff in here. We really want to make very conscious decisions. Todd, does that does that answer the question?
9: Yeah, I think so. I think so. I'm I'm mostly curious like you know if if this thing could scale to like a 240 rack hpc machine or something like that because because uh, of where I work. Um so I'm I'm wonder if that's on your radar because that could simplify our boot process a lot. I don't know if you know how long it takes to Boot these things, but it's 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 a pain in the ass.
0: No, um. yeah, I, 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 I uh, yeah, but I would love to hear stories, but, uh, boot time stories. Yeah, so we need uh, tell me a bit about to the degree you can. What like what, are these mainly GBgPU GPU based systems, or what do they look like? These days they are. So like since
9: our last system, which we I guess we put on the floor in twenty eighteen, which is Sierra, it's a seventeen thousand GPU system. It's like uh, four thousand nodes, Power Nine plus Volta. Um. You know, in the early days of bring up of these systems, like it's t- it takes the vendor forever to get them booting quickly. Like to the point where we actually have boot speed requirements in the SOW. And I mean, it's All still it's like fun. still hours, right? Like if you have to re if you have to restart the whole machine, some nodes aren't going to come up, um, and you're you're going to spend a long time getting that thing working. Like when we had to do the government shutdown, <laughs> I don't know if you remember that. But we were required to turn off all the machines, which is just a giant waste because, like, they're not going to come up immediately and start running things right. when the government shutdown ends. Right. Um, so, you know, having a faster machine for something like that, or a faster boot time for something like that, would be would be good. Not that government shutdowns happen all the time, but just in general, like for managing, you know, thousands of nodes, this sounds super good. Um, I'm just, you know, curious. And I guess the other the other facet of the question is. Um, when we buy these things, I mean, we're, we, we, buy them like five years out and there's a lot of collaboration with the vendor on like non uh, recurring engineering. So that's like innovative stuff that they do to make sure the machine's deliverable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so that's kind of cool because the vendor gets to.
0: Is that me? They can do crazy things
9: in that. They can do cool research um, to make the machine work in five years. Um, but, You know, a lot of it is, you know, what's on the vendor's roadmaps for things like GPUs because that's where most of our power comes from these days. And if you can't, you know, pick the best GPU for the job, um, then it's going to be hard to compete on one of these procurements, right? Like if you're tied to specific hardware. So that's kind of where the question is coming from.
0: Uh, Totally. And that's what we tried to, I mean, we felt like we, in in picking AMD Milan, we were picking the best CPU. We don't have a GPU GPU offering at all, just to be clear. So we, we are only got... CPU networking storage only. Um, And GPGPU is definitely something we're looking at. Uh, Accelerated compute is something we're looking at very, very closely. I will tell you just bluntly, part of the reason that we are not, uh, we haven't figured out what we're doing for accelerated compute yet is because we don't feel we can deliver oxide value with NVIDIA. And we don't feel we can do that in part because NVIDIA doesn't really have an interest in work in partnering for our experience in partnering to do, to develop a truly integrated system i, I don't know todd it'd be great to, maybe that's wrong well
9: funny you should mention that because like i don't know if you saw that oakridge's machine which is part of the same procurement as ours is a giant amd system and so is ours so NVIDIA yeah. didn't win any of the x-scale procurements for for reasons um and you know, we, we're that's that's part of the competition thing, right? A lot of people were like, "Oh, you can't get that other GPU stack to work." Well, we're interested in it because it's competition. And, yes, right. And so we're trying to create a market for other GPUs because
0: of because of reasons. Like <laughs> uh, well, it, it, well, amen. And I also feel that like part of the reason it's really important to do that. And I mean, that's great that you're doing that. Part of the reason that we really want to see. Um, the, and whether it's a reforming NVIDIA or a different player like AMD. But we really believe in open source software. It doesn't feel like a deep thought. But we it's really important that we, when you've got someone putting in all this time and effort for your platform enablement, you want that to be something that doesn't have to be repeated. And making it open source is the way we have learned. That's the way that happens. I mean, if it weren't for open source software, I mean, it's just – and Adam, I don't know if you have the kind of these the same moments where you think like, "Oh my God, open source software is such." Yes, it's a big deal, but it's a it's an even bigger deal than that. It, it, I mean, it, where you look at all the stuff that we build right now that rely, even at Oxide, where we're pulling in all these open source components. It, it's just, it, it's unfathomable. It, to think it's, it is world. staggering.
1: It's staggering to think of like doing this from nothing, like the, the way that we did in the bad old days, to to do it literally every code of being one that we had written.
0: And I think you see, and Steve, kind of your earlier point of like you, sometimes it takes years to see these effects. I feel like we are, I feel like, I mean, this is true for a lot of programming languages, but Rust is like a culmination of, of many different open source bodies of work and it's building on so many different layers of open source some that are directly in the the, the project like lbm and others that were able to really directly inspire it or were able to pull in other components so todd our big belief is that like that platform enablement really has to be open source and we can't do that realistically with nvidia um and that's a, a big challenge. I, I'd be great. I would love NVIDIA to realize that it is in their interest to allow people to more readily build products around them, but that's not where they are right now. So you made
9: just on on that point. Um, I mean, we have a whole paper at C twenty about vendor stacks versus open source stacks for HPC machines. Because there's like sort of a historical perception that the vendors add a lot of value um, with their <laughs> proprietary stacks and. And so we, you know, we pitted like an open MPI plus, you know, vanilla Linux um, configuration versus like what the vendor of our machine was providing. And the the difference isn't that big. I mean, and and also like on the MPI side, it's, it's a toss up what kind of network performance you get. So it's like, is it worth making all this stuff work with custom vendor compilers and custom vendor implementations of everything and proprietary things? So, I mean, basically we're thinking no, but on the other hand, like we, at the moment, Kind of because of the procurement we did where we tried to you know build a new market for, for different gpus that there's only one integrator left in the hpc world who builds systems at our scale so we're trying to figure out who could be new integrators there and and part of that is through open source we think we can yes. we can take on a lot of the responsibility for the stack work with the vendors closely and you know work, work with them to use more of our stuff like our resource manager our stuff um vanilla like linux for the operating system and introduce more competition there um and but it's not clear who who will step up to that so it, it's, a, it's a wide open space right
0: now yeah that's really interesting well for our, for our part i we would i mean we're obviously open sourcing everything that we're doing at oxide and uh it would be great if someone else was like hey you know what If I make a system look like that, I could actually run their service processor. I could run, I could run Hubris or I could, I mean, I feel like we would like to inspire other folks. um, And this is part of the reason it's, it's all openness because we've benefited from that and we want the industry to be able to benefit from that, especially in domains that, you know, it's like where you should be able to benefit from all these things. So hopefully we can collectively um, put some pressure on folks because I, I, just totally agree with you that the open source has got to be the path for this stuff. Um, and Drew, I saw you getting in here a while ago. I'm not sure if you had a, a, a if you had a question or a thought, or maybe not. Um, and then uh, let's see. I know Ian, we got to your we we got to your question slash uh, I, I I or did Ian drop off? Ian dropped off. Um. So in terms of uh, where we're going, um, I mean, it, we it was exciting to be able to demo the booting. Pit. Josh, thank you very much, by the way, for arranging for the uh, the lab machine so I could actually demo it on on stage. That was a lot of fun. Um, but I, I, it is always nice when you demo booting and people actually appreciate it. You know, this is not it takes a very takes very rarefied error to appreciate a boot demo. Um, but it was actually really exciting to be able to. And Josh, is that a Star Trek reference? Like the station now under computer control? Is that a... Yeah, it's from, um... Uh, the Search for Spock, Star Trek 3,
2: I think, where they nick the spaceship. <laughs> they make off with the spaceship and, of course, they don't make off with the crew. So, like, there's this, like, throwaway <laughs> line where, like, the chief the chief engineer is like, don't worry, I've just rigged everything up to be automatic. And it's like, why don't you do that for every spaceship? And secondly, and like, <laughs> and also like, why? Like, why is there a crew of more than four people for any spaceship? Then, and but it, regardless, it on every screen in the background, you know, to make the set look good, is this little like Commodore sixty four, uh, like Federation of Planets picture with this station is on the computer control, where there would normally be like something, you know, blinking for for a, an actor to sit in front of. Anyway, it doesn't. It's just it looks. Like it does in the in the the message of the day there, but
0: the is this a common reference or is this just a moment that really spoke to you? In the... I, I think I may be the only person that remembers <laughs> okay. this. I'm uh, sure okay. I have looked for a,
2: sc- a screenshot of it and, know, haven't, t- th- and haven't th- found one that I didn't make. So like it, it just anyway, th- this yeah.
1: took, this this turned from a thank you into a public humiliation very quickly. I just
2: I I don't feel embarrassed at
0: all. <laughs> okay. Thank should... you, Josh. Thank people you. should people should live their best lives. Look, I'm not. I am. I, I saw Search for Spock in the theater, and I did not. I don't remember any of this. I I mean, I was. <laughs> well, fair enough. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean yeah. it, the uh, I mean Search for Spock. I don't know that it was. Uh, it, would, it would. But it, I'm glad that it was. Because uh, when I saw it, I'm like, this has got to be a reference to something. And I Googled it. It does Google somewhat well. So. I don't think you're the only one. Really? Josh. So you, yeah. you were able to find a reference
2: to the film? Fair enough. There must be some OCR that's gone into, like, alt text generation or something.
0: Oh, screenshots of things. All right. Well, this is going to be good because uh, Adam now knows what the image for this. Uh, he's going to have to – we're going to have to go uh, get the search for Spock. On, is it even on streaming?
1: There it is. Yeah. M- make my job easier uh, making the video tomorrow.
6: Exactly. I gotta listen to an audio-described version of that movie and see if and 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 uh, n- n- uh, pay attention to whether the audio description narrator picks up on that on-screen message.
0: Yeah, exactly. Go report back. Um, all
8: right, well, that's. Uh, but
0: it, it was fun to demonstrate that, Josh. Thanks again for. Um, and and uh, actually, Josh, it's also worth maybe. Do you want to describe a little bit about? how we have phased boot because i think this is actually pretty neat so we have um
2: a small so so the operating system eventually boots from a uh just a, a ram disk that's just like a it's a zfs file system that we stick into dram and then mount as a, a file system and uh but in order to get to that ram disk image which is pretty big, it it needs to live on some PCI devices, and because one of the things that we're not doing is initializing and uninitializing stuff, uh, like we are not going to get to the PCI thing until much later, we need the drivers that are on there to get to the PCI stuff, so there's some chicken and egg problem stuff, so we, we have a very small collection of kernel modules and files that live in the NAND, like the well, sorry, the NOR flash, the little the spy ROM, where the BIOS would traditionally live, I guess on on a on a computer, and, and we are basically just putting a very small subset of files that we need to get started in that ROM, and the computer pretty much jumps straight to that through some small uh, boot lottery stuff that Dan wrote. Uh, it, like it's pretty much straight to the kernel, uh, and then there's enough drivers and file system stuff in that thing that's a little bit like an init rd i guess like an initial ram disk image thing um it's able to load those drivers and then mount the, the copy in the the ram disk image from one of the big storage devices once we can get to it and then boot really proceeds pretty much uh normally the way that it would on any other system any other like unix system pretty much you know and it starts up and a bunch of other things
0: but this is a real technical challenge this approach is that once you're you have the machine up, which is great. That was a big, like, lurch forward. But having the, like, the CPU booted is not... You need, like, all of the programs that you want to be able to run. And the it's the, the, the spinor is... It's, it's a 32-meg payload, right, Josh? Uh, yeah, and it's going to have some rando AMD PSP
2: crap in there as well. So it's not really, like, you can use the 32-meg. And also, there are some constraints on the layout i think so like i think we could get at most maybe 26 or 28 meg in there right, right. now i think we're using about nine because we're compressing it all so it's uh yeah.
4: but th-
0: th- this is like a challenge and it, it this is like also architecturally capped so it's not like we can't put more spy down it is capped at i think it is capped at 32 megs total um yeah, you'd have to you'd have to come up with
2: some other magical storage device that you could access really early. Uh, yeah without a bunch of setup, basically.
4: It's not architecturally capped to thirty two megs. That's that's a supply chain issue. That's because that's the just the size of the parts that we could source. We could put larger parts on it, but at the time when we designed the boards, sixteen megs looked like you know, there's two 16 meg chips. And so that's why that limitation exists. Oh, okay. I thought that was
0: AMD architectural. That's not our AMD. So they can have an arbitrary large spy device. It's just that we...
4: That was I mean, kind device. of. You, you, yeah. The thing is that you can map that into the... Vir- well, into, that appears in the physical address space of the machine. You can map that into the virtual address space. So if you wanted to stick more storage on there, you, you potentially could. Um, but that, you know, again, it, it just becomes a supply chain issue. And that's why we're limited to the size that we're limited to.
0: But the, and the the challenges you have is like not very much storage space to actually have enough operating system to be able to go like do something sophisticated, like hit a disk over ZFS and actually pull in the rest of the system. So Josh, kudos to you and I, and Dan to you to, for the, the, kind of collectively pulling this off where we've been able to, to uh, get enough in there to be able to, to pull in the rest. because I think, Josh, you don't even execute to user land, right? I mean, you actually, this has been all internal.
2: That's correct. At the moment, it is all of the modules you would normally expect, like drivers and things, and subs- bits of subsystems in the file system driver, and, and then the, the core, like, Unix kernel file, uh, and then uh, are all kind of jammed into the, the ROM. Uh, and then I wrote a small module, whose job it is to because like by the time we actually need to mount the root boss it's actually extremely late in boot like we haven't made a process yet but we have interrupts we have like uh multiple cpus we have the the full device tree stuff is like ready to go modules can attach as long as they're available in the rom so we pretty much just like attach everything that we can and go and look for the disk device for instance or or the ethernet nick if that's you know if that's where we're trying to source the disk image from at the time and uh w- almost all of the code is just existing subsystem code that we're just calling into to do like the usual kind of ethernet traffic stuff or disk reads and writes uh so it's it's only like a thousand lines maybe or 1500 lines and it does also we've got all this like hashing infrastructure in there already so we can do like SHA 2 hashes and so on up the the contents of the thing, so like there's a lot of subsystem that's already available in that
0: nine megs anyway, and honestly I, I, I don't know if you think the same way like the kernel is actually a pretty good development environment. I mean it's like well
2: I mean our, I mean I, our kernel is like I don't know you can you can <laughs> sleep at pretty much any time like I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on in there that I feel like has been crafted over several decades and that is now a pretty good programming environment, honestly.
0: And you have something that's debuggable, and th- you've got, you yeah, know, instrumentable, and so on. So it's actually you can actually
4: figure out what's going on. Yeah, you've and you've then you've t- got t- a lot of flexibility once you get into the real kernel. I mean, yeah. you know, when yeah. when you first, when, like the the very first machine instruction, the, the x86 cores invoke, like that's a really constrained environment. Yeah, and then you have to sort of bend over backwards a little bit to get to the point where you can just load the kernel. One of the things that uh, probably very few people outside of oxide realize is that we enter the kernel in full 64-bit mode with virtual memory enabled, um, which is very unusual. Almost no system does that. Everybody sort of gets the machine up into, well, you either start in 16-bit real mode or you get the machine up into 32-bit protected mode and you enter the kernel then. For us, we've like basically done the initialization of the boot core and gotten that thing fully turned on. And in many respects, we load the kernel image itself as just a standard ELF binary there's kind of two places where we violate some of the assumptions that you would just normally make if you were just invoking like LS or something. Um, And that's in the way that we treat the GDT, which I'm trying to fix now. And (laughs) in some assumptions that the virtual memory subsystem makes about the layout of the address space after the kernel starts, but that's it. Otherwise it's like, you load this binary, you jump to its entry point and then the kernel goes off and does its thing. And so this is, and Dan, this is the piece that you've written. This is Foible, the, the Pico host
0: bootloader. And this thing is doing, it's just that
4: absolute minimum that we need to do to, to get us to run a 64 bit executable, right? That's correct. Yeah, I mean that that basically starts in sixteen bit real mode. It it does the whole little sort of amoeba evolving into a dog dance. Of, <laughs> so is.
0: Yeah. I I, I yeah. phrase this as like you replay the history
4: of compute starting in the mid seventies with the forty four and the eighty the eighty eighty. Oh yeah, I mean you're you're starting. You're wearing a disco shirt with a really big collar, and you know like the Bee Gees are playing in the background. It, it's <laughs> a pretty constrained environment when you first begin, but yeah, you. You have to turn on protected mode and get into 32-bit mode, and then you have to, you know, load the page tables into the MMU and initialize that. And you have to turn on all the caches and make sure that memory protection actually works. x86 is a very strange architecture. You can there's a bit that you have to set in one of the architectural registers for page mode permissions to actually have meaning when you're in kernel mode. Otherwise you can write to read-only memory and do all sorts of strange things. <laughs> Um, But yeah, and so Foible does all of that and then creates an environment which the kernel can basically sort of begin execution assuming that it has been mapped and that it's fully resident in the the virtual address space and and et cetera. And then the kernel, one of the kind of interesting parts of the contract between the bootloader and the kernel is the kernel takes over ownership of the page tables that the bootloader has, has set up. And so the kernel will like walk those and say, aha, okay, here are all my pages. And here's obviously the root and the internal nodes in the paging uh, table radix tree. Let me take ownership of those. Everything else, including, oh, by the way, the bootloader that we just jumped out of, is fair game for recycling and becoming, you know, just allocatable memory. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's interesting that in terms of like, because we totally control what that
0: contract is between the bootloader and the operating system I mean, it allows us to do things like that where it's like no no i've already set the page tables for you here they are you don't need to actually go do any reinitialization. that's right yeah that's really neat uh, critic critically we build these things like
2: together effectively so like yeah. the foible part is like the first 100 or 150 kilobytes of program text in the in the image it's almost like a header and then the nine meg of compressed crap that we the kernel is like they're all one image in the, in the end. Like the, they get built at built up built. There's no long-term stable interface between those components. We could change them all like tomorrow. And then we would rebuild both components at the same time. And like, if we come up with a better way to do it, like the, that's
4: exactly right. Yeah. We don't don't have to
2: deal with the foreverness of, of like, well, the BIOS and multi-boot and stuff work this way, like forever now. Like,
4: Yeah. Yeah, no, Foible actually includes the, well, it, it includes basically a CPIO archive that includes the kernel image as a blob that's compiled into the Foible executable. And that's just a Rust program, and it uses you know, the include bytes macro um, to bring in this CPIO archive, and that just becomes part of the compiled ELF image that we generate. And then we have another program that will turn that into something which is digestible by the PSP. Uh, Steve, did you know this, by the way?
0: I'm not sure that Steve knew this, that we are using Include Bytes to actually include the image from Foible.
7: I did not, but it makes total sense now that you say it. <laughs> I
0: I love Include Bytes and Include stir so much. I cannot express how much I love them. I love them so, so much. I, I think Include stir was almost my first moment with a Rust. Where I was like Rust, I think I love you. I because I was super early on. I was like, I'm gonna check this Rust thing out. Dan, you must have had that same feeling. I just feel it is so freaking
4: valuable. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I I did that because it was easy for testing, and and then we and then we started sitting down and thinking about it because our initial so, uh, AMD has this thing called the embed- embedded or embeddable file system, the EFS, and this is something which the the BIOS sort of understands, right? And, you know, the BIOS goes in there and it finds the sort of reset vector image, which is really what all of this code is, right? And the PSP will sort of load that. PSP, like, kind of responsible for doing some of the early initialization on the machine. It does the DRAM training. It finds the reset vector in the EFS, so basically in the flash part. It loads that into DRAM and then sets things up so the x86 cores will start executing in that code when they come out of reset. And you know, I I was like, okay, like I've written the bootloader, but now I need to test actually like, you know, booting the machine and loading the kernel. And so I was like, well, include bytes is a great way to do that. And then, you know, we had this kind of intention that it's like, well, but we really need to like, you know, read the, read this image out of EFS properly. And then we sat down and we started talking about, we said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. We treat flash as, as this, you know, not to overuse the word, but as this holistic thing. And so, you know, the, 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 you know, sort of parts of the AMD PSP goo that we ship, you know, the bootloader and the kernel image are all treated as a single unit with respect to what we ship on the individual machines. So there was no concept that we were going to like update the kernel independently of the bootloader. And once we had that sort of epiphany, it was like, well, then why are we screwing around with trying to like, you know, read this thing out of this thing, just embed it in the kernel image and have this one tool that understands how to split things up cleverly so that they all wind up in ram contiguously and stuff and then let's just do it that way and it it ended up being a really nice simplification
0: and i think i want like an include bites as my bootloader t-shirt or something Dan. I feel like.
7: <laughs> as as a small side note on uh, include bytes uh this finally actually feature landed in C23, actually. It's still not in the C++ standard yet, but we'll see if they end up adding it now that it's in the C standard pretty quickly. But apparently the first time it was discussed in the context of C standardization was September 1995. So uh, <laughs> it has been a long time coming for that, and as the blood, sweat, and tears of many people to get that landed. But uh, yeah, apparently that's finally going to be in C23, so it's trivia. Sure. There
2: are like 500 different coping mechanisms for this. I mean, we, we have one called uh, Elf Wrap, which produces an a right. .o file yeah. with a binary thing jammed in it with like two symbols, one at the start and one at the end of where it's going to get mapped. And so we use that on uh, to include like firmware and drivers and stuff for wireless cards
0: and things. Well, I just feel like, and Adam, you and I have a long history of like dorking with binaries after they've been generated, and it's just so nice to have something built into the language that allows you to be like, no, no, actually, I want
1: all of this data from the file, system so sort it right now as part of the compile step. It's so nice. Yeah, and, and it's beautiful as a macro too, because you can kind of surround it with like the link section that you want it to land in, and totally. Uh, yeah, it, it's 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 nicely integrated. It's very elegant.
0: It's great. So I want to get, uh, Adam, I know you've got to get to uh, to dinner with the toddler. Do you have some other hands up that you want to get to maybe quickly? Um, so um, Simeon, do you want to go to to you and then and then to Anno770 there?
10: Yeah, thank you. It's been very interesting. Um, I, I I just want to understand Foible, the bootloader. Um, what is, does it have, does it need to do things like, like speak to the spy flash does it have drivers and that kind of thing was that handled by the PSP and like you know on either side of of this um of this endeavor is how much help is it getting from from whatever AMD is doing um and and I guess the other question is is it useful outside of context that you guys are doing is it is it could it be a bootloader that you could use on
4: another system I mean it could be bluntly you wouldn't want it to be Um, it is really special purpose. Like we call it the Pico host bootloader because it is purposely designed to be small and to do the bare minimum thing. And outside of the context for which it was written, almost nobody is going to want that. Um, So, I mean, you could use it to boot on another machine. You could certainly look at the code, which I, you know, it, it occurs to me that repository right now is probably private. But there's it is.
0: Yeah, was, I'm looking at it. Up. I'm like, I'm tempted to open it right now. It is private, but I'm just looking at yeah, it. There's
8: I mean, go, go
4: ahead. I, I, there's, there's nothing in there that's, you know, proprietary or, or anything, I don't think. It's all pretty pedestrian code in some sense. You know, so somebody could look at that and be like, aha, uh-huh, here's an example of how you boot a machine from the reset vector um, up into 64-bit mode, which may or may not be useful for somebody. But, you know, yeah, if you were trying to, like, run this on a commodity machine i think people would be pretty sad pretty quick <laughs> like, i want to load this from a file from you know like a like a disc or a ssd it's like yeah sorry i can't do that all
0: right we are going to see if i can deal with github's verification code while in the twitter spaces i i can do it if you want me to i, I mean i'm right here <laughs> okay yeah i've got uh, that's that's
2: not that's not the correct procedure so <laughs>
7: That's really, the, yeah we just we just had, had a security training about this like uh,
10: like uh you know just issues and 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 prs
4: on twitter space this is going to be great i mean i'm not going to get fired if i uh click this button right brian right brian, uh, brian? Uh, the, uh, i was sorry the
0: of course not no no why no of course but could you just do it for me i i'm coming into the office right now but if you would mind, <laughs> also please send, send me some gift cards <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Uh no, actually amusingly, GitHub has popped up its notification saying you have a notification code. And then I bring it up and it says no, no notification codes found. So
4: yeah, go ahead, Dan. If I uh, uh, all right, it says it's done. <laughs> there it goes. A- and, and my that's... awesome.
0: Uh so yeah, so you, so uh PHBL under Oxide computer. Um you can now the internet can now pour in. Can now yeah. be in fact, I insist that everyone star this repo right now because that's how that's right. smash. Smash that like button. Smash that like button.
4: Yeah, Dan's subscribe. Okay. Send me those PRs and, and if you find bugs, please let me know.
7: <laughs> uh, you don't have license headers on these source files in accordance with RFD. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it true? Yeah. Yes, it is true. Uh, I I, do, uh, I look for trolling. I will send you a PR, Dan. Don't worry about it. No, okay. There we go. Uh, we we have our first PR. Very good. Woo-hoo. I guess we need
0: to take the people out of the loop. <laughs> this this repo now under computer control. I. Uh, so, but so, I mean, your question about drivers, I mean, you'll see it when you get in there. But like the part of the the beauty about the way that Dan has done this is that there are it is pulled in as part of the image so it's already been pulled in for you effectively right but that's
10: the that's the the kernel that you're booting that needs to speak to you know disk and network and that kind of thing what is by the time you're running this this bootloader you've already something else has already spoken to the SPI flash right
4: the, the PSP. PSP, PSP has, well, the PSP is an embedded arm comp, well, it's not i mean it's it's an application profile core but that's an arm complex that's resident inside of the chip and that thing runs that, you know, it, like that's kind of, in some sense, the next frontier. Um, well, you know, for us, I, I I think I'm okay saying that we would love to have access to programming documentation to be able to replace the proprietary firmware that's on there. That thing does boot a blob, but we haven't been able to sort of get any, you know, usable documentation on it outside of AMD. But if we could i i mean you know and i don't mean to speak for for brian but i think brian would agree oh brian would agree brian would agree strongly yes yeah we would love to to replace the firm the the proprietary firmware on there we just don't have access to the documentation to do so so foible is the first
0: instruction that the the first instruction that is not a that that is not the first non-psp instruction that executed is foible
4: that is correct
0: does
4: that answer
0: that question
10: Yes, thank you. Um, by the way, there's your AMD host builder
0: image tool is also, uh, I think, private. That one we can't open source on this call. We will open source that very soon. That one is that one. That one is a little more complicated. Uh, and then anno seven seventy.
2: At the risk of uh, nerd sniping, um very busy uh, people. I have two simple yes, no questions. Um, with AMD um, getting their L3 slowly towards one gigabyte, have you considered um, running a server without RAM, just using L3, which means you will have guaranteed L3 a- cache fits? Have you looked into that? Is the one question. And if you have l- looked into that, is that possible?
0: Uh, so we have not, I, I and, and when you say run out of the L3, are you talking about running out of the L3 to boot the way you kind of do historically for memory training? Or are you talking about running out of the L3 in a more kind of persistent fashion? Uh, just run on the L3, there's no DDR anywhere in the system. Right, so we actually, that de- and presumably I mean, we, we don't know how the PSP works because we don't see it. Um, I actually, certainly historically, one has to execute out of cache in order to be able to train memory. Memory arrives to us trained. So the memory training happens in the PSP. So we actually don't need to do that. So it's the good news is it's trained. The bad news is a minute has elapsed since the machine came on.
4: I, I also it, don't think we would necessarily want to do that. I mean, like, look, a gig is a lot for L3 cache. It's not a lot for sort of running, you know, large scale server applications with, large memory footprints. Um, you know, it's an intriguing idea, like, what would happen if you just had a machine with no RAM in it, and you just execute out of the cache? Sounds kind of cool. But I don't think that that would be reasonable for a server class system.
5: It might actually depend on the
2: workload. I can imagine that there are pe- some people in finance, which will pay a lot for the capability to not wait for DDR3.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, our our machines have DDR4 right now. But I mean, yeah, that that potentially makes some sense. There's, there's a lot of variability in terms of performance, if you have weird memory access patterns and things like that with DRAM. Um, Still, though, you know, like, would they be able to get away with only one gigabyte worth of total physical memory in the machine?
0: Yeah, it feels like the ratio of cores to memory is pretty far. I mean, there may be workloads for which that makes sense, but it is definitely. Uh, I mean, you're right, and there's a lot of L3. But I agree with you, Dan, that like that's it feels like you're going to need more than a gigabyte. Um, well, this has been, uh, it's been exciting, Adam. I hopefully you're not in too much trouble with the hopefully the toddler hasn't getting into the parental controls of the Wi-Fi router. Presumably that is what's been happening, but. Yeah, kind of yeah, he
1: there. he got in deep while I wasn't looking.
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, the um, but thank you very much, and th- this has been a lot of fun, Dave. Thanks again for that. That tweet was great. You did such a great job, um, summarizing why we feel anyway what we've done is is so important, why we're excited about it. Um, and great to have everyone here, Josh and, and Dan. Very fun to have you both here, and uh, Steve, Tom. Thank you for your your thoughts as always. All right. Thanks,
7: everyone. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.